as a society, we are getting worse at handling our differences. Some people blame social media because the anonymity and the distance seems to allow people to say things that they might not say in person. Last week I was listening to a discussion about this on News Talk Radio. It arose from a statement from the producers of the TV programme Love Island. Don't watch it, but I was listening to this this discussion about it. In response to some of the, the viewers' unacceptable social media posts, including hundreds of death threats against one of their contestants, the producers pleaded with viewers to think before they posted anything about the contestants online. But this kind of abuse is not just levelled at reality TV stars. News Talk's technology correspondent Jess Kelly, she talked on that radio programme about the amount of abuse and personal attacks that she has experienced online. And this has even happened in response to really trivial statements that she's made on her her radio programmes, such as what she thinks of a certain mobile phone brand. And as a result of that, people have said such horrible things to her and about her. And many sports personalities have often suffered this kind of abuse. In February of this year, a Kerry teenager was put on probation for sending racist messages to the former soccer player Ian Wright. And this year also Irish soccer players like James McLean, Jonathan Offalabi, Shane Duffy, they've also commented about the online abuse that they've received. Now it may be that social media has made all of these things worse. But unfortunately, this kind of thing is nothing new. And even more sadly, Christians too have been guilty of this. In the 17th century, the great Puritan preacher Richard Baxter, he wrote a pamphlet in which he lumped the Quakers with drunkards, swearers, whoremongers and sensual wretches. And in response, the Quaker leader, James Naylor, called his Puritan opponent a serpent, a liar, a cursed hypocrite, and a dumb dog. And then in the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker were among the two best-known Christian preachers. And early in their ministries, they preached in each other's churches. But then Spurgeon, who liked his, his cigar in the evenings, he accused Joseph Parker of being unspiritual because Parker attended this, the theatre. And Parker responded publicly and the dispute was reported in the newspapers. And of course, this kind of thing happens today. Disagreements regularly cause churches to split from each other. And Christian groups say really unkind things and insulting things about each other. 
And well-known Christians have to suffer a torrent of, of criticism and condemnation online from others who claim to follow Jesus. But it's not supposed to be like that. Yes, we're going to have differences in our behaviour and our viewpoints and our opinions, but we are supposed to handle them better. We're supposed to handle them with love. So this morning we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. See what the Apostle Paul wrote about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 13. And this morning Joan is going to come and she's going to read our passage for us. So 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to verse 13. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. But even if, there's, even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and from whom we live and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think it is as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat curses my brother or sister to fall into sin, sorry, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Thank you very much, Joan. In this chapter, Paul started to address the second issue that the Corinthians, that church, had written to Paul about. 
you remember the first issue was about marriage and singleness and divorce? But this was about food sacrificed to idols. In Corinth, the meat that was sold in the marketplace came from animals that had been killed at pagan temple ceremonies. Now, some believers didn't care about this at all. They didn't think that was an issue. Because through their faith in Jesus, they'd been set free from that superstitious belief in paganism. After all, Jesus taught, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 15, what goes out What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. And so these people felt free to buy that meat in the market and eat it at home. They also had no problem going to dinner at someone's house without wondering where that meat had come from. And some even felt free to attend some of the pagan sacrifices and enjoy the meal of celebration that happened afterwards in the temple. So that was one group of people. But there was other groups of people, other believers, who were really worried about this. Their conscience was more sensitive to the reality that that meat had been used in pagan rituals. They were afraid that this meat was defiled. And if they ate it, they were actually contaminating themselves. They were being dragged back into demonic worship. And so they were dishonouring God. After all, had the apostles not said in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem council, you are to abstain from food sacrificed idols those two groups very different ideas now of course today I don't think that's much of a controversy I don't think you can buy food that's been sacrificed to idols at Supervalue or Lidl or Aldi not sure but there are plenty of secondary issues that Bible believing Christians disagree over There are some to do with church life. Things like whether our services should be open and free or whether they should be structured. The style of music that we use. The version of the Bible that we read. Who should be allowed to do what in church? And then there are numerous lifestyle issues that Christians disagree over. Like whether alcohol and smoking is acceptable. What kind of music or TV or films we can enjoy? Issues of like makeup and jewellery and clothing. Whether we should or shouldn't be involved in politics as Christians. Now none of those issues are primary issues in our faith. These are not things that salvation is dependent on. When Paul dealt with those kind of issues, salvation issues, he said there was no room for compromise or concession. 
So when people started teaching that in, in the churches in Galatia, that in order to be right with God, you had to keep some of the Mosaic law, Paul strongly confronted that. He said in his letter to those churches, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. When it comes to salvation issues, when it comes to the core issues of the Bible, of our faith, then we need to be clear and we need to be agreed. The only way of salvation is through grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. And we must not allow anyone to add to or take away from the gospel. But when it comes to the secondary issues that Christians disagree over, then we can apply some of the principles that Paul taught here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. So what were they? How did Paul ask this church to deal with this controversy? Should they just lay down a law and force everyone to conform to that one viewpoint? Or should they argue with each other and ridicule and condemn those who disagree with them? Or should each individual just do whatever they want, whatever they felt was right, and not care if it insults or offends or hurts somebody else? Well, first of all, Paul said that for him this was a really clear issue. He was sure of what God's view on this issue was. Look at verse 4, please. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there's no God but one. This food had been sacrificed to idols. But Paul knew that idols were nothing more than just lumps of gold or silver or wood or stone or something like that. They had no life. They had no understanding. They had no power. This is what Jeremiah 10, verse 5 says. Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Idols are powerless. They're just lumps of material. We've got no life, no power, no ability to impact us. And this meant that meat that was sacrificed to an idol was just meat. It hadn't been contaminated, it wasn't dangerous, because those idols are nothing but lifeless man-made objects without any power to do anything at all. And Paul was really confident about this because he knew who God really was. In verse 6 he says, there is, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from, for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom 
we live. So today some people talk about lots of other gods. Other people talk about everything being part of God. But Paul was clear on this issue. And we, do, we need to be clear too. There's only one God. He is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the Father is the source and origin of creation. He is the one for whom we should live. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the, the agent of creation. He is the one through whom we all live. And through whom we all receive eternal life. So for Paul, this issue wasn't difficult. This wasn't confusing for him. This was clear. An idol is nothing. And there's only one God. And so it didn't matter if that meat had been sacrificed to idols or not. It was just meat. So if that was the only issue at stake, <coughs> excuse me, then these Christians, they could just eat that meat and not worry about it at all. But that wasn't the only issue at stake. There was something else going on here. The problem was that all the Christians in this church didn't know what Paul knew. So look at verse 7. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as, as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. In this church there were some whose conscience had not been strengthened by the truth of God's Word. The teaching of the Bible had not yet fully impacted their hearts. And so when they ate food that was sacrificed to idols, they still felt that they were doing something wrong. They still felt that in some way they were connecting with idols, that they were dishonouring God. Now of course that wasn't really true didn't matter if they ate or not. That's what Paul says in verse 8. Food does not bring us nearer to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. In the end, whether you eat or not doesn't matter. But this was the problem. That when we do something, even although we think it is wrong, then it defiles us. When we do something that goes against our conscience, our understanding of who God is and what He wants in our lives, then that action doesn't come from obedience and love for God. In a sense, it is really an act of disobedience against God. This is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. And so for these people who had a weak conscience, eating that meat that had been sacrificed to idols, it did defile them. 
Not because the food was contaminated, but because they were going against what they believed was right and honouring to God. They were going against their conscience. They were disobeying what they thought God wanted them to do. (coughs) And for that reason, those other people who knew, who understood the truth of the Bible, who understood that those idols were nothing and there's one God, those strong believers, they needed to be careful with how they behaved. They need to be careful with how they used that freedom. That's because, look at verse, verse 11. If, with, if anyone with a weak conscience sees you have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. (coughs) Excuse me. These Christians, they had the freedom to eat. But in exercising their freedom, they could cause a weaker believer, who didn't understand their freedom they could cause one of those weaker believers to stumble. By their example, they might put pressure on that weaker believer to do something that they felt was wrong. And that would hurt them. That would hinder them in their walk with the Lord. It would lead them into sin. And that is the crucial, the critical issue that's here. To cause another Christian to stumble is a serious thing to do. That's because a believer is someone that Christ loves so much that he was willing to die on a cross for. But even more than that, Jesus identifies so much with his children those who have trusted in Him, that to sin against a Christian is to sin against Jesus. Look what Paul says in verse 12. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. And that's serious. And so Paul warned them, verse 9, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. We might have the right and the freedom to do something, but we need to consider, we need to think about, we need to think carefully about whether our actions are going to cause somebody else to stumble in their faith. And if it will hurt them, if it will will hinder them in their walk with God, then we need to be willing to set aside our freedoms, our rights, 
for the benefit of someone else. That's what Paul concluded about how he would respond to this issue. Look at verse 13. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. Paul was willing to lose out if it was going to protect the faith of another believer. He was willing to say no to some of his freedoms, some of his rights, if it was going to benefit somebody else. Now let's be clear here, okay? This is not about allowing somebody else to control what we do. This is not about bowing to the pressure of legalists, people who want to impose the law back on us as Christians. Or prejudiced people who want to manipulate and control how we live. It's not about that. Rather, this is about dealing with the controversial issues in our lives today with compassion for other people. That's why Paul started this chapter contrasting knowledge and love. Paul was probably quoting one of the the slogans that this church was using in verse 1. He said, we know that that we all possess knowledge, he says, verse 1. The church was really proud about their knowledge. They thought they knew it all. And of course, knowledge is a good thing. But knowledge on its own can be destructive. Knowledge puffs up. Paul went on to say, verse 1, Knowing stuff can lead to pride and arrogance and feelings of superiority and treating other people with contempt. So what we need is knowledge with love. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's love that motivates us and guides us to use our knowledge for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus did perfectly. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Yes, Jesus knew and shared the truth. But he did this with such grace and love so that we could be brought into the truth and be blessed by it. And we are called to follow in his footsteps. We're called to to know the truth, to accept the truth, to live in the truth, to share the truth, but to do all of that in a way that will build other Christians up. And so that requires us to be committed to speaking the truth in love. That's what Paul says in verse 2. He says, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. If we are proud and arrogant 
about what we know and you use that knowledge to put other people down then we're really just showing how little we know because we don't know God but if we use that knowledge with genuine love for others then we demonstrate a relationship with God that we truly know God because loving God always leads us to loving His people. We cannot divorce those two things. We cannot separate those two things. Loving God and loving His people, even those you think are wrong, goes hand in hand. So this is how we should address these kind of controversial issues in our lives. Yes, we need to be clear about the truth. As Paul said in Romans chapter 14, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So guys, we need to read our Bibles, we need to pray, we need to talk to people that we can trust, to work through these kind of issues and decide what we believe God wants us to do. And then we need to be committed to doing it. And living in the freedom and the joy that Jesus died to give us. And be willing to do that even if it goes against the flow of other, of other people or even other believers. Not just trying to fit in with what other people are doing, but doing what we believe God wants us to do. But the critical thing is, we also need to do this in a way that builds other people up. We mustn't condemn other people for doing something different. We mustn't copy social media in this world by ridiculing them for the lack of understanding or knowledge. And if we're aware of weaker believers who really struggle over these issues, then our Christian compassion will mean that we're willing to set aside our freedoms, our rights, if it will help and encourage other Christians to live for Jesus. That's because, folks, we're not, we are not called to look after our own interests. We are also called to look after the interests of others. We're called for our attitude to be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the example we need to follow. Not the example of the world who ridicules and condemns and pushes away but the example of Christ and be willing to lay down our lives for the benefit of others just as Christ loved us and gave himself 